He's become a friend and uh, go down there often. And he has a great church, these thousands of people doing just great things for God. And uh, he's my friend. He's our friend. And so let's welcome Pastor Marcus from Seven Hills. Well, what is up, City Church? You guys doing all right? The 12 o'clock service? Man, so good to see you. You can be seated. Uh, let's honor your pastor and his wife. And are they amazing, amazing human beings? And I know it's normal to compliment uh, and, and honor and do all those kind of things, but uh, your pastor is so impressive in so many ways, his hunger, his desire, um, his teachability. Not that I think I have a ton to teach, but um, every now and then you've uh, been where someone else is trying to go and uh, and they don't a lot of times people they, they don't even know what they have to adjust or change or whatever and um, so they stay stuck but your pastor's always last two years he, we hang out together we spent hundreds of hours talking about you talking about this church so even though I'm new to you um, you're not new to me I, I know all about you I know all about you I, I could we could I know about those of you who you're, you're sitting. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know about you. No. That's so funny. That would be so great, wouldn't it? I just started calling people out. Pastor Dave told me all about you. You know, that'd be hilarious. Mess up his church and then leave. That would be great. Uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, if you've got your Bibles. You know, I really do um, love uh, my church. It's the greatest privilege I've ever had to pastor the wonderful people there right outside of Cincinnati. And, um, and I do disagree theologically with Dave's comment on Jesus riding in on a colt. And um, there's a whole message to that. I'll come back and preach you to you next time. Um, the message that Jesus was trying to send was not one of strength by riding the colt. And um, it was one of servitude, and um, so we'll get to that maybe some other point. But anyway, the uh, I, I rarely travel. I ra- rarely take Sundays off and the weekends off because I really want to be at my church. That's where I love to preach. That's where I love to be. Um, I'm not the kind of guy that likes to travel around and go all kinds of places. It's, I don't feel called to do that. I don't mind doing it. I like to hang out with friends, to be honest. Uh, but there really is um, a reason I'm here not because I'm special or important, but because I really do desire to, in some way or another, I may not hit a home run this morning, and that may not happen, but in some way or another, maybe help us get on base, help us go a little bit further uh, than maybe what we've gone before. May not throw a Hail Mary, but if we can get some yards down the field, come on, just maybe a first down today or something like that. That's what I want to help do. And I do believe that this church is full of potential. Um, When I say that you are full of potential. I'm, I'm in no way minimizing what you've already accomplished. But I do, however, believe that there is so much more in each of you individually, personally. And I also believe that there is a lot more because of that inside of this church corporately and what God wants to do. And when, when it comes to my church, one of the things that people always ask me is they always, they always think that I'm, you know, like if you have a larger church, everybody thinks that you're about numbers. And and the truth of the matter is, early on, we never prayed for a large church. We prayed for a strife-free, 
healthy, happy church. That's what we wanted. We just, we just didn't want a bunch of people mean and angry and fighting and complaining all the time. It didn't matter to me if that was three people, you know, or 300,000 people. I just wanted a, a strife-free church. And I say that to say um, that we've never defined potential as a particular number. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but we have defined potential as, as also not minimizing the fact that one day we will answer to God for what we did with what was given to us. And for us as a church, we know that we, it would be easy to rest in what we've accomplished. And other people could look at where we're at and they could say, wow, you've done a lot. But for me, I know we've not obtained our full potential in God. And so as a pastor, my job is to keep saying there's so much more, not because we're trying to get somewhere as much as it is we're trying to live out our full potential in the time and the day that God's given us here on this planet. The Bible says he chooses the time and the places we dwell, which means there's no time ever in the history of this planet. The Bible says before God even made the first day, before the first 24-hour period day happened, God had knew you, he made you, he, he knew all about you and had predestined the moment that you would show up on the planet and live, which is today, right now, this hour, and somehow or another, by his divine purpose, he also chose the place, the topos, the geography, this little patch of dirt on the planet that you and I are here. There's no other place God wants us to be than right here. And in this time, in this hour, I want to make sure that we realize our full potential It'd be crazy to live this whole life and know God had so much more, so, so much uh, greatness that we never realized because we, we, didn't, we didn't keep going and say, God, really, what the, at the end of the day, we just want to realize our full potential. So that's what I'm here to do, just to stir you up, encourage you to believe for more, uh, have faith for more. Again, more just meaning, God, whatever the gifts you've given me, whatever the potential is, we want to fully realize it. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, a short verse, I'll read it with you. Verse 27, nor give place to the devil, nor give place to the devil. I normally read much more scripture than that, but do not give place to the devil. Paul was saying, do not give the devil away, an entrance point into your life where he can pull you down, bring you to a place where you live a defeated life. I was watching the 700 Club several years ago, and they were interviewing, and I'm not really into this kind of stuff. I know it exists. I know it's real, but it's not really, I'm not given to it necessarily. But this guy was interviewing a satanic high priest, and the interviewer was just trying to figure out a little bit about him, how he was raised, and, and how he came to become a satanic high priest, which I found very interesting. He said, you know, I was raised in a, the home of, an, of atheist. I had never heard of a Bible. I never heard the name of God. I had never prayed in my whole life. And so he said, I just kind of found my way um, just through the, the course of life into a satanist cult and, and I just began to elevate in the organization. And so, yeah, I was ordained as a satanic high priest. And so they asked him, they said, well, what is, what's your job? What's the goal? 
you know, you're a satanic high priest. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? What's your mission statement? You know, what, what is it that you teach? What is it that you preach? What is it that, that you're trying to accomplish? And he said, it's, it's real simple. My job is to teach people, to train people, to focus on the negative. He said, even more so, he said, he said when you really want to get to it, we disciple people in a way that they can even take that which is positive and somehow, some way, turn it or spin it into something negative. And he asked the question, why would you want to take something positive and turn it into something negative? And he said, because negativity enforces evil spirits. In other words, the devil can only get a hold on your life. He can only get a stronghold in your home. He can only get a stronghold or gain access into a church if somehow or some way we allow the atmosphere to become negative. And so I'm not a brain surgeon, but I do think that if the enemy who is always the, the one that creates what God means and what God does and his ways and, and his truths and tries to pervert them, I think it's not too far of a reach to say if a satanic high priest's goal is to disciple people to focus on the negative or to focus on how to turn the positive into something negative and that attracts demonic spirits, that enforces evil spirits, then I think we could pretty easily say our job in a service like this as believers would be to access God's word and find out how to not only not focus on the negative and not to only focus on that which is positive and deny the negative, but our job would be to say, what is it that's negative? Where is the defeat in our life? Where, where are the losses? Where's the difficulty? Where are the problems? And as believers, our job is to focus on that which the enemy has meant for evil and to turn it into something good. Why? Because if we can focus on the negative and turn it into the positive, I also believe in the same way that the, that sa satanic high priest is trying to turn positive into negative things to attract evil spirits, we can take that which is negative and find God in it and believe he's going to turn it into something good. And you know what that does? That attracts the Holy Spirit. That attracts God's best. That, that attracts his promises. Why? Because we know no matter what's going on in life, God is wanting us to know he's in control. He's working things together for our good. He is finding a way to, to even where, when the enemy's attacking or life is attacking or things are going, God is trying to find a way to, to extract something of honor and glory for his kingdom out of it. You read Isaiah, it gives us several things that to me teach us a little bit more about this. In Isaiah chapter 1, it's mainly a prophecy about threats that exist. In chapter 2, it's about wickedness. In chapter 3, it's about coming calamities. In chapter 4, it's about distresses. In chapter 4, it's about judgment. And then in chapter 6, Isaiah begins to have a vision of the temple. And the Bible says he has this vision of the Lord high and lifted up 
and the train of his robe fills the temple. A robe represents victory. I'm sure you've heard this before because you've got great pastors and teachers and thinkers. But a king's robe, whenever a king goes to battle, he has a robe. A, a robe or uh, he, the, the train of his robe represents the length of how far his robe extends um, backwards. And the way that the king gets a larger robe is every time he gets a victory, they disarm the king and they derobe, declothe the king of the defeated uh, people and king and military force and they take that king's robe and they attach it to the victorious king's robe. And so if you ever see a king with a small robe, that means he has a small kingdom or he's not had a whole lot of, of victories. A king with a lar- long robe, a large robe, that means that that king has a large kingdom and he's had many victories in life. And so when, when Isaiah saw the temple, they saw, he saw God's house and everywhere he looked, the Bible says, the train of his robe filled the temple. There was nowhere you could look in God's house and it was not sending a message that our king and our God is always victorious. It does not matter what battle he faces, what enemy he faces. It does not matter what comes against us. Our God, the the train of his robe fills the temple. And the second Isaiah got that vision and he prophesied that our God is victorious, immediately in chapter 7, he prophesies the goodness of God. In chapter 8, he prophesies the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 9, he talks about the joy of the Lord, which we know is our strength. In chapter 10, he talks about a remnant that is saved. What made the difference? What turned all of this negativity, the threats and the dangers and the calamities and, and all of the attacks and the judgments, what, what made the difference? It was Isaiah chapter 6, him getting a vision of who God is and that vision took the negative and turned it into something positive and he got a vision of who God is, his nature, his character, and that is a a character and nature of vision. And we have to know, we have to know in a 12 o'clock service that God's house is no place for anything but the full assurance of victory. The full assurance that our God somehow, some way is going to bring us to a place of victory in every area of our life. Now, it's not that we don't go through things. I know there are people in this room right now that are going through things that I would do anything to say, I wish I could pray enough, fast enough, preach good enough that you wouldn't have to have gone through the things that you've gone through. There's unfortunate things that we go through. There's painful things that we're going through. There are things that happen to us that no human being deserves. And they're painful things. They're horrific things. They are tragic things. And I'm not denying that we go through problems and we go through trouble and we go through struggle. But we must never forget that our message is a message of victory. Remember in 2 Samuel, the Bible says King David is running from Saul. And he finds himself hiding out in a cave. And 300 men find him. And the scripture defines them as misfits for the most part. They're discouraged. They're defeated. The Bible says they're in debt. They're in over their head. They really have nothing to offer. 
And when they find David in the cave, they're trying to turn him negative. Talking about how Saul, Saul's this, Saul's done that. How dare Saul do this? You need to kill him. You need to take him out. And surprisingly, David initially lets them turn him negative. And you see it happen. You see them begin to talk to David about what's wrong. And he says, literally, he says, I'm going to die. Saul's going to kill me. I'm not going to make it. And the second he says that, three chapters later, you have Ziglag, which is where the Philistines attack, destroy his family, their families, their homes, to kidnap their children and their wives. And these 300 men that had turned him back in the cave to be negative, now all of a sudden they have stones that they're picking up to kill David. Which is a side note, just lets us know. Next time you're around someone negative and you think they're just being critical to you about your thing, you have to know not only are they trying to turn you negative, but at some point and sometime you just wait and watch it. It's a character flaw because they're not only being negative about that situation or that person, eventually they're going to find a reason to be negative on you and they're going to pick up a stone and throw it at you too. A lot of times people run in those cliques and those clubs, but they have to understand that that is not a safe place to run. That's not a secure place to run because eventually that same spirit that attacks, that that same spirit that comes at people, eventually they're going to turn and come at you. The Bible says here's David. He lived his whole life being so positive. His whole life, like the Joel Osteen of his day, He's out, you know, brothers reject him, father doesn't like him. Praise the Lord, it's good. Just going to shepherd the sheep. Lion comes, try to take the sheep. Just, it's okay, I got it. I'll kill the lion, I got it. Bear comes, it's okay, I, I'm plenty capable to take out the, the bear. The, the giant Goliath comes, everybody's scared. It's okay, just, I got a slingshot, it's fine. I go. He was always positive. Always, always positive. And they turned him negative. And now the people he allowed to turn him, now they've turned on him. He has nowhere to go. He's lost his family. He's lost everything. And now he's looking at the people that he thought he was jumping in with. And now they want to kill him. And so he pulls away and he returns back to who he was all along. And the Bible says he encourages himself in the Lord. And if you read that, the moment he began to do that, he walks out of that place and he looks at the men who have rocks in their hands and want to kill him. And he says, listen, if we will get up, if we won't just stay here believing that it's over, there's no hope, there's no future, because this has happened, what's the point? If we won't buy into that, if we'll get up and we'll pursue, he says we will recover everything that we lost. We'll get our marriages back, our spouses back, our kids back, our resources back. And the Bible says they got so many spoils from going back and pursuing all, that they had to share the spoils with other cities that weren't even connected to them. You see, the key is they knew, David knew, that he had to turn the negative into something positive. You know, I always wonder if God pastored a church, what would it look like? 
You know, if God pastored the church, if we could just show up and God was the pastor, and I know he's the head of the church and all that, but if God was the pastor, what would it look like? And surprisingly, we have that church in the Old Testament. It's called the tabernacle. It's the church that God pastored. And if you look at the Old Testament tabernacle, it's so interesting the way that God designed it and built it. The first thing that you see when you walk into the tabernacle is you see a gatekeeper, similar to a greeter or a parking lot attendant, somebody that's out there saying hi to you as you come in. And as you come in there, you know, I don't know, giving you the little mugs or here's some coffee and they're smiley and happy. In, in the tabernacle, that was called the gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper in God's original tabernacle's name was Jephnael. And Jephnael's name means God is giving. Why don't you say that with me? Say God is giving. Oh, y'all are, y'all are the, the, this is the 12 o'clock service, which means you got to sleep in. Come on, you got to sleep in. You, you're supposed to have more energy. You're supposed to have, you're supposed to be like, man, I slept in until 10 o'clock today. This is great. This is wonderful. Come on, say, God is giving. God is giving. Bam, there we go. Number two. Uh, they, they would come through the gatekeepers and they would come in and then they would hear the singing and the worship like we heard today and they would be praising God and, and the worship leader's name was Johananon, which means God is gracious. Say that with me, God is gracious. And then after that, the pastor would come up or the speaker would come up, the preacher would come up and his name was Jehezekiel and his name means God is strong. Everybody say, God is strong. The fourth thing you would see would be the keeper of the ark where God's presence dwelt. And his name was Jehiah. And his name means God is alive. Say it with me. God is alive. After that, you would go to the priest whose name was Jediah. And Jediah's name means God knows everything. Say that with me. God knows everything. Number six, you would run into the lay people, those who are just doing the side work, just whatever needs to be done here and there. And his name was Jedediah. And his name means God is my friend. Say that with me. God is my friend. And then finally, as you were exiting the house of God, exiting the tabernacle, you would run into the keeper of the storehouse, the place you would bring your tithes and offerings. His name is Jehonathan. He's the last guy you see, the last guy you run into as you're walking out to get back to your car, to get back to your chariot or whatever they had. And his name means God will provide. Everybody say, God will provide. This is the church that God pastored. Now notice... There was not any place in God's church for negativity. Because God understood in his sovereign wisdom, whether it's at the parking lot, the greeters, and the lobby, the coffee, the nursery, the children's ministry, the worship team, the stage, the preaching, the offering, the giving, the outreaches, the small groups, the growth tracks, the missions efforts, no matter what happens in God's house, he always was trying to reinforce that he is a God of victory. And he wanted people to know when they came in that he's a God that is giving. He wanted them to know when they're singing that he's a God that is gracious. He wanted them to know when the word is being preached that he's a God that is strong when they're weak. He wanted them to know when they get in his presence that God is alive, that he knows everything, the good, the bad, the sin, the mistake. He knows it all. He wanted them to know that he's their friend that sticks closer than a brother. When other people leave your life and other people exit and other people turn their back, he's there. He's sticking with you. He's in it with you to the end. 
He wanted people to know when things are going bad and things are going wrong and it looks like lack is all around. He wanted people to know that he is our provider. Everywhere you looked in God's house, he had people that were there saying he's gracious. He had people there saying he's strong. He had people there saying he's going to provide. He's going to come through. Don't worry about our God is always a God of victory. Everywhere in God's church, this is the way that it is. Now think about this. There's a, I'm wrapping up with a story. It's a little girl who was asked to sing a special in church. She gets on the piano and she starts to play the piano. And she starts off in the wrong key. And I don't know a ton about music, but evidently if you start playing in the wrong key and, and you're not tone deaf like I am, you, you sing in the key that you hear. And so she starts singing off key. She's playing in the wrong key. She's singing off key or somehow there's some kind of mess up on the music. And the whole crowd knows it. She knows it, but she hasn't been doing it long enough to correct it. And so she just keeps forcing her way through the song off key. And so someone in the, the, the crowd that knows and understands music knows the way you get someone who's off key back on key is you don't stop them, you don't correct them, you just start singing on key and they'll find it. And so someone stands up and they start singing on key. And then someone else that gets what's going on, they stand up and they start singing on key. And then someone else stands up and they start singing on key. And then before you know it, the whole congregation, who's normally just going to sit there and listen to the cute little song, is standing up and they're all singing in the right key. And eventually the girl corrects herself and starts singing on key. They didn't have to go up there and say, how dare you? You should have practiced more. You should have known what to do. You should have never, you know, you know you're never doing a special again. I mean, my God, you, don't you understand the opportunity that you have? How could you? They didn't do that. They didn't have to say anything. They didn't, they didn't have to. All they had to do was to start singing on key. When I think about a church Every week we come here, people come in and they're off key. And they know it. They know it. They can sense that life is off. They come in and they've lost a job this week. They've come in and they're sick. They've come in and their marriage is falling apart. They've gone through divorces. They're struggling with an addiction. They come in and their life is a total, complete mess. They're off key. And our job as the church is to help them get back on key. And we don't do that by coming in with a spirit of negativity. We don't do that, we, we, we don't do that by allowing them to come in and they got this problem and that problem and this, this trial and this difficulty and this sadness and they just want to come in and, and, and then before we know it, before church is over, we're depressed with them. Oh, man. Life is terrible. Life is horrible. You know, I was greeting and I ran into someone this week. You know, husband left him. And then and I go over here this week. Somebody lost their job. And we leave church. We leave church feeling worse about God than how we came. It's not that people don't come in with that. But our job is to say, it's all right. God's got somebody better for you. I know you don't feel it. I know you don't see it. But God's going to turn that around for your good. I understand that's God. But you know what? God shuts that door. He's going to open a better door. Our job is to not let them come in and turn us. 
Our job is they can come in however they come in, and our job is to turn them positive. Yes, people come in and they've lost a lot. Yes, they come in and the enemy has the upper hand. Yes, they come in and they are in every imaginable struggle. But our job, like David, is to encourage ourselves before we come here. Is to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And no matter what happens, we're here to say, if you'll get back up, if you won't stay defeated, if you won't stay negative, if you won't stay in that, that depressed, discouraged, if you'll get back up and you'll just start to pursue. You may not have all the answers, but if you'll begin to pursue and begin to see God as He really is, and that is a God that the train of His robe fills the temple. He is high and lifted up. And you and I have to know if we'll pursue Him, pursue His presence, pursue His Word with all that we are, we will recover all. We can get the hope back, the dream back. We can get those things that the enemy has stolen back. And knowing and living and believing with the conviction, our message is a message of victory in Jesus' name. Come on, say a big amen if you believe it. Why don't we stand up together? I'm done. I think one of the best ways to end a message like this is someone taught me early on in my relationship with God that, that the devil's not omnipresent. It means he can't be everywhere at once. That he's not all-knowing, which means he can't read your mind. That, that the only knowledge he has about your life directly is the knowledge you give him by the things that you say, by your physiology, by the message you give off. And it's not that we're supposed to walk around being fake. But there's also a part of the Christian life where you have to know that the enemy is looking for cues that he's got you. He's looking. He wants to know, does he got you? Does he got you? He hits you, but does he, did he, did he, it, are you going to stay down? That's what he wants to know. So every now and then in a service like this, you've just got to know that God does know. And God does see. And God is aware, Right? But we're going to let the enemy know that no matter how hard he hits us, that we still are the kind of people that knows God takes whatever the enemy has meant for evil. Whatever he's meant for evil. How many of y'all got some messed up stuff that the devil's done to you? Man, I do. I got some things I'm like, man, devil, I, I'm going to be honest. That, one's, that one almost got me. But I come into times like this, I can lift my hands, and I can say, no, somehow, some way, I don't see it, I don't get it, I don't understand, I don't have answers, I don't have a million scriptures to quote, but I know, I have full assurance that God is going to somehow, some way, get the victory in my life through what the enemy has meant for evil. If you believe that, can we let the devil know that our God is strong by giving him a good praise? Can we let the devil know our God is gracious? Come on, let's let the devil know we are still confident that he is our friend. He is our provider. In Jesus' name, we all said a big amen. Let's give the Lord one more final hand clap together. Come on, one more time. Jesus is Lord this morning, this afternoon.
All things work together for the good. If you don't mind, bow your head, please. In this moment, you online watching, you can bow your heart, bow your head, wherever you're watching from. Thank you for joining us. We're going to give food away here to those who need it in just a moment. Uh, we're going to serve you and bless you for those that that's your need today. But hearing a message like this, all of us have struggles. All of us are facing something at some level. And God is greater. Amen. And the train of his robe, victory, victory is for us. As your head is bowed today and you would say that you, uh, you've never received Christ in your life. That means you've never asked him to come into your heart and he lives in you by his Holy Spirit on a day-to-day you know, basis. You've never done that. Or maybe you would say you have done that, but you're at a distance with God. There's a gap. You're not connected right for whatever reason. And you want that to be closed today. As your heads are bowed, and we do this just to respect everyone because we're all at different places and that's okay. Nothing, nothing to worry. As your head is bowed, and that's you today, please raise your hand right now. And I want to pray for you. God bless 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 you. Look at the six people coming to Jesus today at 12 o'clock. Love it. Love it. Just one more time. As your heads are bowed, you would say today, uh, PD, um, I'm going through something right now. I need God's strength. Uh, I need his, his comfort to uh, have joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength to, to, have, uh, to have victory. I don't give place to the devil, but, but good is going to come out of my situation physically, you know, relationally, whatever it is, and you want support today. If that's you, shoot your hand up right now all over this room. We want to pray for you today. Good. Hands up everywhere. Thank you so much. Follow me in this prayer, and please say everyone out loud, Lord Jesus, come into my life, and please forgive me for anything wrong. I turn to you, and I give you my heart, my all. By your Holy Spirit, give me the courage to believe that I will be victorious. I will recover all. I don't give place to the devil in my life, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for everyone in this moment to be encouraged, to be built up, to be strengthened, to be focused, that the enemy will not win, but that we will overcome in the name of Jesus. Come on, one more time. Give him a great hand clap of praise today. He's worthy. I want the prayer team to join me right now here down on the front. So here's what we do here at City. If you're new, we're going to take about five minutes and have response time. You can respond to God as you feel led and as you feel comfortable. So for those of you that received Jesus today, I want to encourage you to come down. We want to give you a Bible. We want to support you. We want to help you. We're here for you. We want to serve you. If you raised your hand to respond to the message today and you want support with that, we're here to, uh, to pray with you, to love on you. We don't pray on you. We pray with you. If you want to sit in your seat and worship, Bruce is going to sing a great song, and then Bruce will dismiss us here in just a moment. You can do that. But you can also take communion as you want to. And it's in the back and it's in the front. Actually, it's just in the front, excuse me. So if you want to do that, you can. And so if you want prayer, come in the middle aisle. If you want communion, exit the side aisles and come down. And then uh, as Bruce is singing, just you know, let God touch your heart. And then he'll dismiss and we'll have a great week. May the Lord bless you. May his face shine upon you. May the Lord be good to you. And may he uh, give you peace in all situations. And for this message, we don't give place to the devil. And we receive his victory in Jesus' name. Let's respond to God.